With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Podcasting to you from a field here in beautiful rural Ireland, I'm Trev Downey and this is Malby on the Spot, your weekly chance thanks to Anfield Index Pro to hear the wit and wisdom of Liverpool and Denmark legend Jan Malby as we talk about all things Liverpool Football Club and plenty of other things besides. So let's begin it once again. Good evening, Jan. Good evening, Trevor. Uh, I hope you've been busy out in the fields in this lovely weather. I have, man. I have. Yeah, I've been. Uh, <laughs> I've been digging. I've been digging again, as people will be uh, familiar who, who follow me on various media will be familiar with it. Yeah, it's the um, for those of us who are uh, in the in the farmer know it's time for the second lot of potatoes. Uh, so I had a lot of just digging from scratch to do today. So the gym be damned. I've uh, more than worked out today. I can tell you that much. Uh, yeah, nice and beautiful day for it. I don't know what it's like over in your neck of the woods, but it's uh, starting to feel a bit summery, which is which is a bit of a bonus on top of all the fun we're having watching our team. Yeah. It's all hotching up nicely, Trevor. That's all I can say. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It really is. I think I was speaking to a couple of people on various shows, and I think it was Dave on Raw was saying recently that uh, there's some stat whereby I don't think anybody has gone as deep into the season with as much still on the table as this lot of Reds. Certainly, um, we must be right up there. It's a remarkable thing to still be pursuing, to have the one trophy that uh, could be won to date in the bag and still be in with a shout of all the others. And, man, I have to give you your credit because when we spoke last, we were looking forward to what was it? We were looking forward to the last two games. Um, the involve involving our club and you know it, we you pretty much got them spot on like you had done the last time with the, with the with the with the predictions. Um, there's so many things that I want to pull apart with you, but I just want to give you a sort of chance at the start to take what 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 has been your biggest takeaway from the fact that you know we've watched the Reds push on um in two games since we spoke last. Yeah, uh, I mean, if if anything, and and I, and I think I, I'm not sure I said on this podcast before the Manchester City League game, but I'm convinced I said it on Daily TV that I kind of got the feeling with Liverpool that 
leading up to that game, and, I, and by that I'm talking about possibly the last two months before that league game, they were kind of just doing enough, let's get the game won, because we got a bigger fist to fry, isn't it? And I, and I always felt that that Manchester City game, the league game, was pivotal, isn't it? And I think since then, if anything, we, we've stepped it up again. Uh, you know, I think the two games against the two Manchester clubs uh, were, were, were outstanding. They were as outstanding as they had to be. You know, we played as well as we had to be for as long as was needed in those games. I still feel we had more in the tank uh, to have, have, have done more. Uh, but it was it was very impressive. And uh, the bizarre thing is, Trevor, that, you know, there's so many players in good form, isn't it? You know, and, and, and who are we going to talk about? I mean, Mo Salah's been a little bit quiet, but then he bounces back. Sadio Mane in that sense of role is, is, is playing out of his skin. Luis Diaz, and, and then you've got the uh, dancing feed midfield player, Thiago, and yeah, I don't know where to start, Trevor. Well, you know what we'll do? We'll put a bit of shape on it because that's exactly. I'm, 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 I'm glad you said that because it, it, you're, you're so right. There's so many different directions that we could take this, um, and 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 the most interesting thing to do, I think, is to look at the fact that you know. We were talking, I think you said, didn't you, that there was a good chance that this FA Cup semi was going to go 3-3 an extra time. I'm fairly positive that's what you had said. And uh, it was perilously close to that in the end. Um, but what made it weird was that I was almost, and I, almost, yeah, relaxed for a good period of that game and considering we're playing against Manchester City who for all the poor mouthing that we've heard from Pep and Manchester City fans and they're they have to have some representatives in the press because some of the stories that were coming out about it was bananas man about how poor Pep if he wants to really compete with Liverpool he's going to have to get a bigger squad um this is honestly an article that was put forward in I think it was the Telegraph um, so against this background, you, 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 you could be lulled into a false sense of like, oh, did City go very weak? But that's bullshit, right? Okay, they were missing some of their important players, but we all know what that's like. And this is Manchester City who can buy all the players in the world. So I have zero time for that for that argument. But we have to remember, it's still Manchester City. And yet, that first half display was awesome. I mean, we blew them away, yeah. I, I, in, in fairness... You know, and, and people can make a point of the fact that he made changes, but I, I don't think that that was the decisive thing. I think almost regardless of what team he would have uh, put out, I think we'd have beaten them. And I think he knew that. I think he knew the impact that those 10 days of playing Liverpool uh, and Atletico Madrid uh, really took it out of them. And, and I think he almost felt that I've got no choice here. Uh, I've got to make these changes. I'm not making these changes to to to, to have a lesser chance of winning, but I, I feel I've got to make them because the rest of them looked a little bit shot, you know. So when you look back at it, Trevor, and this is the bizarre thing, isn't it? Playing Atletico Madrid twice and Liverpool twice, so four games, they only won one of them, one nil, you know. Uh, so it, it sort of comes back to my argument in that the difference between Liverpool and Manchester City, we win we win games easier because we score more goals, you know. So you you, you compare the Sterling chance against us in the first five minutes to Lewis Diaz against Manchester United. You know, when when we create these chances, you know what the outcome is. Uh, so I think that stands in a good step. But of course, we have to be aware that there's still one point ahead of us. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's a complication um, for later in the show, for sure, when we start looking forward to the next 
fixtures um which are um two fairly mouth-watering ones as well but you know there was a feature of that first game that we're going to look back on, which is obviously the the one we started to chat about, which is the FA Cup semi-final against City. And the feature of that game that was so fascinating for an awful lot of people, because it hasn't been an, a possibility between um, injuries to Thiago and Naby Keita, um, was the option of seeing Naby Keita and Fabinho and Thiago um, in sync in the middle. Now, Against Manchester United last night, we, we saw an absolute masterclass from, from, from Thiago. We'll come back to that because I think it warrants some special scrutiny from yourself. But he was wonderful, um, against City too and really makes us hum. Um, but there was also really, really dominant displays from his two partners in that midfield. Energetic, um, excellent defensively. Despite what you might hear from some people about Naby Keita, fantastic in terms of interceptions and energy to get across and uh, close channels and that type of thing. And also then you have the creativity that the three of them have. Um, obviously, you know, there's a, a direct curve upwards from Fab to Thiago in terms of creativity, but Jesus, man, it was exciting to see those three guys. And it's got nothing to do with anybody else. It's just that they are our form players and we've never gotten a chance to see them before. And they just happen to be in great form as well. So it was really nice. And I had this feeling that, you know, that trio, if fit and in rhythm, would be the ones you'd want to see in the really massive games between now and the end of the season. Of course, that begs the question, what game isn't massive between now and the end of the season? What did you make of the trio um, and, and how they operated together? Well, obviously, I was I was delighted. Uh, I wanted Naby Keita to start the game at the, at the Etihad in the, in the league. Because I just, I don't know, I just, you know, sometimes you have this feeling that this particular uh, opposition suits some players better because of the way City plays and because of what Naby Keita uh, brings. Uh, but but I, th- I think it was just a, a culmination of, you know, getting over that first Manchester City game and now knowing what we need to do, isn't it? There, there is no messing now, is it? You know, we, we have to be foot perfect in every single game. And and I think that's what food for the players, isn't it? Uh, that, that, that can either work one way or the other, isn't it? You know, it, it can work in terms of, the players take it on board and I just think they've took it on board. They understand fully what they're involved in. They don't get carried away. Every time I listen to somebody being interviewed in the way that they look, and it's the same with the atmosphere at Anfield and the way that Liverpool fans are talking about it. There's a different atmosphere compared to when we t- we were trying to win the Premier League for the first time to this time. Is Because now they know what they're watching. They know what the boys are capable of, isn't it? So, yeah, those three at Wembley, everything you want from midfield. It's been a long time in the making. You know, because Napi Keita and, and Thiago hasn't just arrived. They've been there for a while. But we found it we found it difficult because, A, it takes time to sell in, but then also the tournament had a lot of injuries and, and, and there's been some illnesses uh, to deal with as well. And I think also with there's been some maybe some physical struggles, especially from Napi Keita. Uh, and then, of course, Thiago, who... Thiago, he wants to play tiki-taki Barcelona football because he can, you know, and, and I have no problems with that. If he can play like, you know, the, 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 the maestros, Iniesta and, and Xavi and them, go ahead, isn't it? But I think, I think the, the coaches have even probably worked very hard with him and going, there's a time and a place, isn't it? But we need to get the ball to our front three quicker than at any club you've ever played for because of the way that we want to play. And I also happen to think that 
the movement of the front three. And I also think that the front three are now, and although Diaz has only been here five minutes, I almost think that the front three are on that same page. And I can kind of relate to that. You know, when you find a striker that you're on the same page, but it just looks that way. I think Thiago, I have no proof, Trevor. Trust my eyes. But I, I think that Thiago's first pass now is, is, I would think it's probably improved 30, 40% in terms of it being forward and more direct. There was nothing wrong with the way they wanted to play, but we're better when we get the ball forward really quick, isn't it? So, uh, as I said before, it's been a long time in the waiting. It's been kind of this thing we've been waiting for, isn't it? You know, we, we see everything else function. We, we got the goalkeeper. We got the sense of we, we see everything functioning. And before every single game, we talk about the midfield and we go, what's the best solution here today? Uh, because possibly we haven't seen what we consider to be the three best shooters to play together at their absolute best. But it does appear that we're heading towards that way, which of course is incredibly exciting because everything else has worked perfect for such a long time. And if we all of a sudden now get in midfield where we don't have to look and go, I like a midfield like Manchester City or I like a midfield like whatever, isn't it? You know, they are now, it's almost like the last puzzle, isn't it? It's the last brick in that puzzle, isn't it? So it's uh, incredibly exciting. It really is. And, and, and the potential to, to see more of it as the season goes on, like I said, and all these massive games that lie ahead of us is uh, mouth watering to say the least. And, you know, you talk about, you know, how the Diaz is only in the, in the, in the game or in the, in the club a a very short time. But, you know, it's the one observation that even guys who are slightly, uh, prone to nonsense can all see how natural he is and how well he's fitted in. But there's more to it than that. There's something about this unit. And you alluded to Sadio Mane through the middle as well. I mean, he gets two goals in this game against City. Um, I thought Salah looked sharper than he had done in recent um, outings as well. And, you know, it was interesting. He had that, um, battle with, 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 uh, that, 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 that side of the City defense. I thought, I thought Aki did quite well, actually, all things considered, um, on the day. Um, and, you know, there's another guy that we, we should, we'll talk about because we're going to talk about the, the front three in, in the in the second match that we have to look back on, which is the win over United. But there's another guy who who got a start against City in the cup, and people there were possible eyebrows raised. If there were eyebrows raised that the captain was left out, um, there was also a lot of people who were saying, "Well, actually, that's um, a, a positive move." And then a lot of people would have considered the same thing about Ibrahima Kanate, who came in the team and did exactly the thing that he's been doing in every game recently, which is going up for a corner and heading it home and putting in a very solid, uh, powerful, um, intelligent display at the back as well. So much so, Jan, that I felt it was, you know, very possible that Joel mightn't get back in for the United game, but it would seem, it would seem that Joel still edges it as far as Jürgen's concerned. It's a lovely headache, though, man. And we haven't even mentioned the name Joe Gomez yet. So it's an embarrassment of riches there. What's your feel about who, again, it's that old chestnut of who do you like as opposed to who do you think he's likely to go with? Well, I think I think we did quite a bit on, on Konati uh, when I, I saw him in the, in those preseason games at, at Anfield. I thought I really liked him. And it's like, 
I, I don't think a player necessarily has to play well for you to be able to see things and go, this is what I like about this player. And I think that was maybe a, like that for three or four months, is that he might, not in any of the games I put together the perfect 90 minutes, but in every game, every time I've seen him play, there's things that I like. Now, there's obviously the obvious things, isn't it? You know, that he's very quick and he's very strong and he's a, he's a, he's a real threat. Set pieces, isn't it? Did he score three consecutive games? I mean, what a record that is, isn't it? But I like his ability on the ball. I like, I like, I like the passes that he sees. And, and this is always a big thing with me is that you can only play the pass that you see. If you don't see it, you can't play it. And I actually think he's got some very smart passes. Now, Virgin van Dijk, his passes and why we brought him in is, is, is the diagonals, isn't he? You know, diagonals over the fullback's head. Plays in, but this boy is more of a central passer. He passes the ball through the middle, along the floor, into the front man, into Sadio Mane. That's where I think Sadio Mane is so great in that he links up and makes the box. You look at number nines, false number nines, whatever. How many of them actually manage to link up and then make the box? Very, very few of them. But he actually manages to do both in it. But I. I don't know, I just think Konati is, Konati is a very smart footballer. You know, and as long as we can keep him at it, and by that I mean, don't get lazy because you're a good player and often you're dominating your position. Keep him at it, keep him concentrating. I think we, I think we got a real, 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 I mean, and, and, and with his age, isn't it? It's just a shame. Can you imagine if Virgil would have been 26 instead of 30 and you've got a bit of looking forward to those two for the, for a while, but no, as I said, I think he's a very smart footballer. Yeah, and 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 you know, we'll 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 talk about the guy who took his place when we're speaking about the United game. And I suppose the only other thing then, as a takeaway, to talk about from the City um, Cup win, which you know, just for the record, puts us in the FA Cup final against Chelsea. Um, so it's going to feel a little bit like deja vu. And obviously Tommy Tuchel is going to be taking this one very, very seriously indeed because, um, well, the league's looking a bit funny for him at the moment. So it's going to be a huge challenge and not to be underestimated. But, you know, with that platform of those three, if we're lucky enough to have them and, and, and the three that we've had in the last two games up top, you know, you fancy your chance against anybody in the world currently. I'm, I'm curious what you think about what what you're making of City um, with with what they have left to do uh, and and the games that they have remaining have have you changed your mind on them at all? I mean they went out and they did a very routine um, dismissal of 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 Brighton last night uh, to go back um, top after we had just supplanted them for a day or so. Um, so it's hard to see that machine not rumbling on uh you know at, at a very high level what what would if you if you had to call it what would what do you think the rest of their season looks like i mean it's very tempting isn't it to to to, to say oh well there's one trophy they didn't win we won it and and now they're out of another trophy and uh, you know but like at the end at the end of the day when they looked at the season ahead all they were thinking about was the premier league and the champions league if we're being perfectly honest so they're still there and probably i'd say favorites for both is that a fair statement yeah they are still favorite uh for, for both competitions uh absolutely uh what do I think? 
Now, I think there's a much better feel about the way that we play and the way that we get games done. I, I think there's a nerviness about Manchester City. You know, I sensed it in, in, in the 2-2 game. I sensed it at Wembley. I certainly sensed it in the two Atletico Madrid games. Um, and even to an extent, the, the first half against Brighton, uh, there was a nerviness. Isn't it? Because I think if, if we're in the game and we haven't scored, there's no need for, for anyone to get nervous because you know we're going to score and you know we've got options. And sometimes with City, you know, if they, if they, if they can't, if they can't get, they don't get to those areas on the pitch as well and as quick as we do. And that's probably why we create and score more goals because of the way that we play. So sometimes for them, it can be a little bit of a, of, of a slow burner, isn't it? And I just wonder whether that might just catch him out in one of the games. Do you remember? You will remember, Travis. Do you remember the, when, when they put the Pippers by one point and, and uh, Vincent Company scored that goal at home? Uh, was that was that what it was? Or was that in... When was that, Trevor, I... when he scored that goal against Leicester? The, the, uh, right, right at the death, like the, yeah, the, league, the, the league clincher. Yeah, think... it, was like, it was one of them days where you go, this is the game, nil-nil. You know? Yeah. And, and yeah. I, I just wonder whether they're going to have another game like that but not get there, you know? Uh, so, so then you look at the fixes and you go, I, I don't know. West Ham, but are West Ham still involved in, in, in Europe? I think being involved in Europe has derailed their season a little bit, isn't it? But there's others, Newcastle, having a, a good go at it. And of course, they've got to play Wolves. Might not be a bad time to play Wolves at the moment. They seem to have gone a little bit. Uh, and then, of course, we've, we've got the one big hope left, haven't we, which is Steven Gerrard. I mean, at the weekend, they play Watford. And I would be amazed that if, if what could, could cause any kind of problems in this. So, I don't know. I, st- I still think, I still think if we can win all our games, I think we'll win it, you know. But it's tricky, isn't it? Like you said, Trevor, and they just, they just carry on going. They just go and go and go. And, you know, the, the Brighton one, Peter, was a tricky one, which they, they saw it through. Well. You know, we, we, it's the muscle memory of winning that helps you win, but it's also the muscle memory of having had the experience of going toe to toe. Uh, and seeing them inch it at the death in a really gargantuan league title battle in the past that also probably has a lot of fans scarred by that, you know. So, I mean, it's, it's sometimes it's a nice position to be in, to be coming up on the rails, um, to use a racing term, something I'm not really familiar with, but you know exactly what I mean there. Uh, you can kind of see what you have to do. Um, but also when it's, when it's City you're up against, that's quite an intimidating thing because you just get the feeling they're going to trundle on and, and get the results they need. But I, I totally accept your point and I would feel it myself that there's a little bit of a vulnerability about it. I thought it was really interesting. Like I said to you last week that De Bruyne was saying, you know, after they had the 2-2 with us, that that's how we need to play. Uh, and the, the suggestion being that they haven't always been doing that of late or over the course of the season and uh, playing to their to, to their very best and they're going to have to I mean yeah okay the Premier League opposition I, I don't know what you think um, Jan but I, I'm just imagining you um, a couple of years after retiring as player manager and a massive game like that I'd say Steven Gerrard is dying to pull on a Villa jersey and get stuck in in that game I mean there's a, such a build up there's a it has the feel, doesn't it, of one of those sort of um, 
almost meant to be stories. I don't know. It's 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 a long way off. We could be well out of it at that stage, or you know, things could have gone the other way. It's it's one we'll 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 keep an eye on with uh, with with great interest. Trevor, Trevor, should Gerard pull it off? I'm going to write a book. You know, like Arsenal, Feet yeah, or whatever. They they wrote a book about 1989 and it became a play or a film or whatever. Isn't it? If if Gerard pulls this off for Liverpool, then I want you to be the man who writes that book. <laughs> You've got a deal, man. You've got a deal. I would, I would enjoy that. I have to say, <laughs> I have to say, I would enjoy that. You know, the pain just kept coming for Manchester uh, at the hands of the red side of Merseyside because uh, on Tuesday night, I said last night, but I'm, I'm, I'm uh, a day behind myself. On Tuesday night, we went out and demolished a team um, that you know, looked as if, well, they looked like what they are, which is rudderless, um, disinterested, uh, lacking guidance. And this is not a dig at um, the current coach at all. It's a dig at the setup in the club in general. Um, we talked, you and I, about the weird decision of leaving him as a lame duck manager. That announcement didn't really need to be made, and yet it was. And uh, They've got, you know, very limited things to fight for and yet the way the Premier League results worked out they had a, 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 an, un, a, an unexpected opportunity to get back into the top four uh, should they have pulled off a win now we know that due to tragic circumstances they lost uh, Cristiano Ronaldo who's been a great kind of flat track bully for them like I mean the lad has been all his career wonderful at, at dispatching uh, um medium to, to low opposition and, and, and being ruthless about it. But I don't know. We see he didn't feature the last time we played in terms of having any input to the game. So you'd like to think, right, okay, so maybe it's a big loss, but know, really overall it was a massive, massive impairment. They did lose Pog earlier on, but then again, you know, the guy has been a bit AWOL for them um, when he has featured this season. So again, really, is that the is that are we going to hang our hat on that? What what do you think is going on there, man? Because like I said, we kind of talked about it. We talked about Eric Ten Hag and whether he was a good choice or not the last day. But this idea of announcing him um, with the amount of games they have left, when there's still theoretically something for Manchester United club of that size to play for, if they're not getting top four, they're just literally nowhere, and they just seem to have accepted that, don't they? Yeah, they do, yeah. I mean, it's a mess, isn't it? Had that been your club, you would have been disappointed, Trevor. You would have been disappointed with all those people in, in position making those decisions, you know, going back to the, nothing wrong with the second of all the gunners, yeah. Absolutely not. But did you then need a caretaker manager? Uh, had you not prepared yourself for, for, for that moment? You're not going to tell me that they couldn't have got Ten Hag when, when, when Ollie was, was sat and then this Ralph Randing and then bring him in and then now he's got two years as a consultant, which, I don't know, his position as a consultant for two years looks weak and weak and weak every time he's him play. Uh, because you just think that this guy might just not be up to it, isn't it? So, I don't know. Just to finish one thing, you know, with Manchester City, I didn't get it said before. Manchester City left Wembley knowing that Liverpool are better than them. They felt Wembley. And I think that's a big thing. Anyway, coming back to Manchester United, I think the, the, we knew they weren't very good. Because we've seen them play this season on all given evidence, they're not very good. But the challenge I felt was that Ralph, leading up to the game, said, 
we need to change the system. We need to put more men in defensive positions. So that was the challenge. They changed the system. They tried to play the three centre-halves. And I guess that that would have been Jürgen's pep talk. They changed the way they want to play. This is what they want to do. Let's show them. And that's exactly what it was, wasn't it? So they played with the, with the 3-4-2-1 or 3-4-5, whatever they did. They didn't really matter because they never really had any players where they needed to be. Uh, and, and really we went, okay, they want to play like this. And we finished the game before it was even started. And I even think then we got a little bit bored with the game. You know, maybe we took a little bit of pity and thought, you know, got a little bit bored with the game. And then they, they had a little spell in the start of the second half. And I think then we realized we're at home, we're playing United, we're attacking the cup end. Let's give him a bit. So we scored a few more. Uh, and that's basically how I saw the game. It could have been a lot more. You know, I think Manchester United got, got lucky that we weren't in a ruthless mood of putting them to the sword because we've already done that, haven't we? Last three games, we've got 13 goals against them. Nothing to prove. <laughs> yeah. You know, man, it's, it's a remarkable thing. I keep coming back to it because it haunted me for years. I've said it to you before, but. I, I, I remember back in 2003 and, you know, okay, we had won the, the, the treble. Um, but we were at nothing in, in the Premier League, really. I mean, there was that whole, uh, was it 10 games from glory or greatness? Um, in that, in that Julier season where it was after the treble, I think, and we had done well. We ended up second and went out of the Champions League and all that kind of stuff. It was, it was, it was a bit of a depressing. Uh, kind of a season, really, uh, in many ways, even though the, the club had elevated itself a bit. But in the season after that, we kind of disappeared away again. I think there was, a, there was a League Cup won in 2003. But United were just flying, and they were just at their sort of imperious best. And, you know, even guys like Forlan coming in and doing bits. And I remember I went out and watched the Liverpool United game in a pub, which is always a terrible idea. I was, I was annoyed at myself afterwards for having done it and met this United fan who lives up the road from me. And he said in his best local accent, use are no threat. And I just thought, well, f- fuck it. He's right. You know, he's right. And I, man, it just sits in my head. And every time we go out and play them now and blow them off the field, those words are echoing around my head. I wouldn't be mean or nasty enough to go and find them and say it back, but uh, it is a nice little bit of retribution. The, 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 the gulf is bananas where we have gone under Jurgen um, to where they have fallen away from uh, is, is, is stunning. It's, it's the only, it, it's the only thing that makes it even more sort of striking is that I honestly feel a little bit sorry for some of the sounder United lads that I know there's a small handful, but there are a couple of sound lads I know because they just are scratching their heads. Yeah. And they don't honestly don't know what the fuck is going on because they haven't dropped off in terms of recruitment or anything like that. They've tried to throw uh, money at the manager solution as well. They've had guys like Louis van Hal and, and Mourinho and stuff like that, but still can't seem to get it between the hedges. It's uh yeah, it's a real mess. Uh, I wonder just to get your final take on it. Cause we've touched on it last week. But again, we were talking about this on Raw afterwards because it was, it was so stunning to watch the gulf. Um, Ten Hag comes in and you said, and I was quoting you on Raw, that you know he's not the recruitment guy at Ajax because of the structure they have. 
And again, I think it was Dave I was talking to was saying, yeah, well, and he kind of doubled down on what you were saying. said, yeah, but not just that. Like, they're also a ridiculously well-run club and they've got, you know, one of the best systems in Europe. And they were able to, you know, get to a Champions League, what was it, semi-final or final, whatever it was, and, and, and rebuild an entire team because everybody was picked off and do it again and go well again and win the league again. So that's a very different machine that he's driving at the moment to the one he's going to be stepping into when he gets as far as Manchester. Yeah, yeah but I also feel, Trevor, no, no, Ajax is one of the best run football clubs uh, in the world. And it's kind of, Ajax is kind of steep in Ajax, you know, because a lot of the people are still involved behind this. It's a bit like Bayern Munich. Uh, it's a lot of former players and they're just steeped in, in that Ajax tradition. What, what they'll have to do at Manchester United, they will have to be a number of new people, which obviously the manager is one of them, including his backroom staff. Uh, then the people above him, which are the people who's got to protect him and put a structure in place to protect him and give him time and give him some peace to do his, his job. They will also have to be either new to the club or unbelievably inexperienced at doing their jobs. You know, and these are all problems that will mount up for him. You know, Ericton Hart calls in whoever they're going to decide, whether it's John Murtagh or Darren Fletcher or whatever role that Ralph is going to be, isn't it? But it's not like Klopp brings in Michael Edwards and goes, Michael, I need a left back. You know, and you know he leaves that room and you know he's going to produce, isn't it? You know, all that thing. And, and, and Eric needs that Ajax. Most of the players to produce themselves. But every now and again, they need a bit of magic and they go, go and get me somebody and they know they can do it. That's my biggest problem with Manchester United. There's no doubt that Eric Ten Hag will be able to identify what type of players he needs, but I'm not sure he wants, he could be able to identify who exactly he wants. Then he has to give that role to somebody else that I'm not sure we can 100% trust that that process will be, 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 be I, I, listen. It's a gamble, of course, it's a gamble, and we, we, we turn out all of this. He's never done in the Premier League and whatever, isn't it? You know what I mean? Good luck to the man getting Manchester United back somewhere near the best. It's, it's good for the product that's called the Premier League, isn't it? But I think there's a long, long way to go for them. Absolutely long, long way. And the one thing he doesn't have is, is, is that personality that Jurgen Klopp has. Uh, because you, you have to overcome. The start will be slow. You have to overcome that. Uh, so, I don't know. But, but hey, listen. They're there now, aren't they? He's got himself a three-year contract till June 2025. It'll be interesting to see. I think we'll get a hang on it pretty quick. Not how good they can eventually become because we didn't even know that with Liverpool. But I think pretty early on Jurgen Klopp's reign, we thought, yeah, this is moving in the right direction. I can live with this. There's some pride. There's some energy, isn't it? Give it everything. Yeah, we like quality, isn't it? Interesting to see. Interesting to see in 10 months' time whether we can actually look at Manchester United and go, yeah, Eric has got him going in the, in the right direction or whether we think it's just more of the same. I can't be 100% sure, Trevor, and neither can you. But, but if I was a betting man, I would probably say that in 18 months we're going to go, it's kind of the same, not a lot has changed. I have the same feeling myself. The only thing about it is you're talking about recruitment. Apparently the secret weapon is Steve McLaren, who uh, famously... Uh, is that because he speaks Dutch? It's be- well, he certainly he certainly speaks with a great Dutch accent, doesn't he? 
uh, does uh, old, old Steve. Uh, so <laughs> if you don't know what we're chatting about, listeners, just look up Steve McLaren Dutch accent on YouTube and you are going to have a giggle for yourself that you will not have uh, had before. A couple of takeaways as well. Uh, first of all, you know, a goal and an assist for that front three of Diaz, Salah and, and Mane. And with Sadio starting to look like a, a, a sort of a more powerful version of Bobby Firmino uh, with little clip passes and dinks and back heels and, and coming deep like you talked about before. That's exciting, man. And, and, and for Sadio to be banging in goals is exciting. Three and two for him, and to see Mo Salah back putting the ball in the net. And I, I, I bow to nobody on this. That first goal that he gets against United on the 22nd minute is massively important for him because he has been through one on one in the last eight, ten games umpteen times and hasn't finished. And like I said on Raw immediately afterwards, I don't care who you are, I don't care who you are, I don't care how large your ego is, and Mo is not. Uh, no shrinking violet in the ego department you have a habit forming situation going on there and if you keep missing you're going to keep missing and if you keep scoring you're going to keep scoring so that's fucking huge for us Jan that Mo Salah has his groove back in that way and that he got that second one late in the game will have him absolutely buzzing in a way that like I've said to you before when he wasn't doing those things, if we're going to do this amazing thing that's on the table, or at least to win one of the two majors that are left, we're going to need Mo Salah doing the things he was doing against United. Yeah, we weren't going to win four trophies with him being out of form. That is absolutely spot on. And the thing with elite sport, you play elite sport, what you do mainly is repetition, isn't it? It's repetition. You do the same thing over and over again. And and, and that's works obviously positive and negatively. So you mentioned the, the, the chances that Mo had had and missed, and a lot of them are very similar in him bearing down on a goalkeeper, having time to think. And I even thought the United the United uh, goal, the first one, three, four months ago, he would have put that in the corner with all the confidence in the world. He was still a little unsure, and it was a little bit close to, to uh, the hair, but he, couldn't, he didn't have time to, to react, isn't it? Uh, so, but yeah, as I said before, we weren't going to do it without his contribution. Uh, so it, it looks like he's got the spring back in his step. He looked uh, delighted last the, the game as well when he did his interview and all that. So, so all these things are important, Trevor. So, uh, yeah, there's, I mean, there's no one letting us down. There's no one not pulling their weight. Uh, so let's go again. We have two more games to go again um, very soon, and I want to finish the show talking about those, but it would be silly of us not to mention one thing. Get Just to get your take on it, you say as much or as little on the subject as you like. Uh, but we have had, and the reason I want to bring it up is because you have, like I have, uh, a really visceral memory of what football used to be like before the the sort of razzmatazz of the Premier League and ironically uh, before the horror of Hillsborough led to all sorts of changes in the game and the reason I bring that up is because there was a time a time when you guys were absolutely flying in the mid-80s that football fans never mind Liverpool fans but football fans in general were very much looked down upon 
Um, it w- w- I mean, I'm talking about going back before Heisel as well. I'm talking about, you know, through the late 70s into the 80s, that period of time, uh, football fans had a very bad rep in the, uh, you know, um, media and, in, 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 and all the rest of it. And yet, Jan, I don't recall things being as awful uh, as some of the things that we've seen now. I, I wonder is it a societal thing. The reason I, I, I'm bringing it up is because I want to just have that contrast. You're a man who's seen the whole development and you might be able to put, put that to bed and say, actually, Trev, that's bollocks. I, I recall horrendous chance um, and, and, and terrible things happening in football grounds. But we had the situation where we had inverted commas a minority of city fans fucking loud enough to be heard uh who disrespected the the uh the the silence for hillsborough and then after anfield i thought had been exemplary in a pre-organized uh uh mark of respect for uh the death of cristiano ronaldo's kid we had some pretty awful fan uh fan chants uh coming from the united supporters um Hillsborough related chance and murderer chance and all these type of things. Now, look, you can say again, small minority, but I don't know, man. I just have this feeling that we've sort of dropped a level in terms of the kind of individuals that are coming into grants. Am I, am I, am I way off on that? Was it always this way? Uh, I don't. I mean, there was. I'm, I'm sure in the 70s and the 80s and whatever there was from time to time some some awful chanting, isn't it? But the whole thing is about. So the whole thing is about education, isn't it? Uh, and, and and we just feel that there's a easier way to get the message out there. People are more aware than what they've ever been uh, regarding all these things. And I have to say that both of those incidents, Wembley and at Anfield. Are very disappointing. I, I couldn't quite believe it. And especially Manchester City. I mean, yes, I know the majority of Manchester City fans are from Manchester, but what is their beef all of a sudden with, with us? I understand there's a rivalry between Liverpool and Manchester, but there's not one single argument you can put up that justifies what they decide to do. You know, and we're talking about adults. We're probably talking about people who are parents themselves. Uh, Decided. This was not something that they pre-organized. This was something that they decided during the match. They're watching their team get torn apart by their fiercest rival, and then they decided to do what they did. Uh, I feel sorry for Manchester United because it's kind of what can they do? Uh, they come out obviously condemned it and, and stand by Liverpool and blah blah blah, isn't it? Uh, but in this day and age. With the information that we have via CCTV and email addresses and e-tickets and whatever else we get, we, we live in hope that there's a way of finding these people and making sure that they don't visit football grounds again. Because whether it's a thing to do with society and whether this is all on the back of COVID and the way that the world has changed generally, it's still football ends up with that problem at their doorstep, isn't it? Because a lot of people are assuming that this is a football issue. I'm not sure, 100% sure it is, isn't it? But we need to deal with it and we probably need to do better than what we've ever done. Coming out and saying, this is about education, this is about blah, blah, blah. I don't think that's enough anymore. You know, if, if, if people 
haven't been bright enough to be educated with the information you have at hand regarding these incidents already, then I believe you're a lost case. But uh, this, this is kind of a situation where we need to do as much as we can to make sure these things don't happen again. Yeah, you would like to see it taken more seriously um, across uh, the so-called um, mainstream and respected media channels. You'd like to see more coverage of it. You'd like to see it on the main evening news. You'd like to see it featured uh, in places where actually it might get out and do some of that education instead of, as you say, certain people making the right noises uh, in response to the latest uh, sort of horror show. Um, but see, see, the education bit, Trevor, has been out there for a long time now, hasn't it, in terms of we even had the play on TV. We've had the court case, you know, where people writing about this, you know, where a lot of people prior to all these things might have thought different. But the education, that's what I'm saying. The education is out there and it hasn't worked. So now we need to do something else. Yep. Agree completely. I just wanted to get your take on it. We have two big games coming up. They're all big games now. We play Everton at the weekend. I do believe, uh, unless I'm very much mistaken, that that is a uh, a Sunday game um, uh, for us. I think it's the half four or four o'clock or wherever the hell that is fixture. Um, yeah, half four at, at, at Anfield. Um, it's an interesting one to look forward to. And then after that, we have Villarreal. So let's just have a little bit of a chat about both of those potential games. Um, we won't waste too much time trying to predict, predict lineups because Kloppo's going to Kloppo. Uh, he brought back in Jordan Henderson for the Manchester United game into the midfield with Thiago and uh, Fabinho. Thiago went on to have what was one of the most outstanding displays I've seen from uh, Liverpool midfielder in years. Uh, so you about, can about thirty years, Trevor. About, about 30, thirty years, man. I was I was I was just saying exactly that on the show afterwards. You, you, <laughs> you'd you'd been you'd have been proud of me. I I had your back. Uh, so so you know to be fair that. The, 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 he's going to do what he's going to do, and, and and the lads who come in are going to do well, and and we we have to have faith in that. So we look at the opposition, uh, and we'll focus on them. And in recent times, Everton have had an interesting uh, run of results. You'd have to say uh, they're our first opposition. Like I say, they drew one one with Leicester. I think that was only yesterday uh, at home. They then had a 1-0 win before that against Manchester United at home. Previous to that, though, Burnley, who you know were so uh, atrocious in recent weeks, uh, beat them 3-2. Um, Everton were away there. They went away to West Ham before that and got beat 2-1. Uh, they went away to Crystal Palace in the quarterfinal and got beat 4-0. Uh, and before that then, on St. Patrick's Day, 17th of March, they had a 1-0 home win against Newcastle. It seems to be very important for Everton to be at home at the moment. Um and then before that, it was a 1-0 defeat to Wolves. All of this has led to a situation where we have uh, Everton hovering in a very, very, very dangerous situation. Um, you know, you don't... You don't need to be uh, 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 too much of a mathematician to see that there's still a lot of points to play for, but if it hadn't been for a couple of recent sort of uh, r- rallying results, they were right in the shit. They have 31 games played, which is a game more than the two bottom teams. They're not coming back into it now. But they are four points clear of Burnley. 
is that enough, Jan? Is it pretty much a done deal? Let's get that question out of the way. The bottom three now looks like being the bottom three, or do you think there could be any sort of a revival or rally from Burnley? They got rid of Sean Dyche. Who knows what that's going to do to their end of season. Sometimes they can have a little bit of a bounce when there's a bit of a change. But it felt to me like that was the acceptance that they were kind of done, if I'm being perfectly honest. Um, I don't see that bottom three changing, and I don't see everything slipping back into it. But they've left themselves very close, haven't they? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, Burnley over the last few games have changed the way that they play because they're now involved in much, must win matches. So they've opened up a bit more, but not necessarily to their benefit because they don't have enough firepower. Uh, so I, I do agree with you. Uh, I never quite felt that Everton were going to go down. But if you look at the 20 teams in the Premier League and we analyse every one of them, I think I can get pretty close to how most teams want to play and what their strengths and weaknesses are. But there's three teams that baffles me. Manchester United, Watford and Everton. I have no idea how those three teams want to play, what their strengths and weaknesses are. It's it's a bit of a, you know, it's never the same from match to match. Every time you see them, it's like it's almost like a new team, uh, whatever, and Everton falls into that category. So the reason I'm saying that is that the timing of the first goal, like it was on Tuesday against Manchester United, is so important because I think that will really make it awkward for Everton because you don't have anything to fall back on. You know, Burnley have a system to fall back on that they can play. Yes, it lacks quality, but they have a system. Even Norwich, who are bottom of the league, have a way of playing. So what I'm saying is, could we score early against Everton? I'm not sure they've got anything to sort of fall back and go, listen, this will keep us in the game. We play like this, we'll be okay for a while. Because for Everton, it's about surviving blocks. And I think the blocks are five minutes. Survive the first five minutes, then make it to the 10th minute, then make it to the 15th minute. And, 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 and I think that's the best they can hope for. Because yet again, just like the United game, we are blatantly on a different planet to them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'll tell you, the only thing that, you know, I, I had that thing going into the United game of, look, I don't care. It's, it's United. And it, in a condescending way, I was thinking, well, this is their cup final. They get a chance to derail us. They're definitely going to come out. So that's what was so shocking about how lackluster they were. I do think, though, that Everton will have that attitude. I do think they'll relish the chance of throwing a spanner in the works. So that is something that, you know, will be an extra level or an extra layer of uh, bite and competitiveness. I hope it doesn't end up as a very uh, not too distant, uh, recently distant Everton fixture where we end up with fellas getting hurt. I hope it doesn't turn into one of those games. But it's going to be interesting to see what it is they're capable of doing. I mean, just to give folks a little bit of an idea of what they're doing with their team lineup. Uh, in the 1-1 last night, they went with Pickford, Yerry Mina and Godfrey at centre half. Uh, Mikalenko and Coleman were, were full backs. Alan, uh, Delph and Awobi across the middle. Gordon, Richarlison and Gray across the top. And in the previous game to that, which was the Burnley game where they got beat 3-2. They had, again, uh, Pickford, uh, Branthwaite and Godfrey were centre-halves in that one. Mikalenko and Kenny were full-backs in that one. Ducure, Holgate and Awobi across the middle. And Richarlison, Calvert-Lewin and Gordon across the top. So there's quite a bit of 
change across two fixtures there, both of which were big games that they had to win. So unless there's massive, massive issues there with the injuries, um, I'd imagine, um, you know, that perhaps that's a sign of, 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 of a setup and a, and, 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 a, and a group who really still don't know who the best team is. Guys just told us that Burnley are winning 1-0 versus Saints at the moment just for a bit of relegation zone context. Who knows what they could still potentially pull off. I guess it's possible. Everton will definitely not like the look of that if it turns into a result. But we have a couple of minutes left and I want to talk about Unai Emery and I want to talk about uh, Villarreal because Emery's uh, track record as a manager, especially cup managers, is bananas, if we're being perfectly honest. He's got those three Europa Leagues uh, in a row with Sevilla. He's also got a Europa League with Villarreal in 2021. He got to a Europa League final, I think, with uh, Arsenal. Um, he had a league, league title in 2017-18 and a couple of French Cups as well, maybe three, four French Cups, I think, in total. Uh, this guy knows how to manage a team through to a final, perhaps a team that's less, uh, that, that doesn't have necessarily the biggest stars in the world, but that he has them very well drilled and organized and they can, they can, um, operate very well as a team. And this seems to be very much the situation with Villarreal, who, despite the fact that you might be wondering what's going on there, they are seventh in La Liga on 52 points. Um, and quite a way off the Champions League places, eight points off the Champions League places, in fact, where Barcelona are bringing up fourth spot on 60 points, uh, Atletico a point ahead of them. This is going to be a real challenge that I feel an awful lot of people are under, underestimating. Yeah. I agree. Absolutely, I agree. I mean, I think that the, the one thing with Unai Emery is that he needs a group of players who need him. You know, and by that, I mean, when he was at PSG and Arsenal, these players are kind of looking going, who are you? But these players he's working with now need him because he's capable of convincing them that the best way of success is you listen to me. I've got a proven track record. We play like this. It's not necessarily very entertaining to look at, but it's a difficult game. I think had we played Bayern Munich, we, we'd have ran up quite a big score. I could have seen them score six, seven, eight goals against Bayern Munich over two games. I'm not so con- convinced that we will score as many but I'm not convinced either that they will score many. <clears throat> so I think almost regardless of what the score is in any of the two semi-finals, Villarreal won't change. They'll continue to play the way that they play because that's the way they, they play. And they will hope then that Dan Schumer, who we know a little bit about from his time at Bournemouth, and then Moreno, who's a Spanish international, those kind of guys can do a little bit of magic in it. But They'll, they'll park the yellow submarine, get everybody behind the ball. They'll close down the spaces. Uh, you know, and if as long as they can do that, step into those spaces and close them down, it'll be tricky. We're better than them. We'll beat them over two legs. Uh, but how convincing? I don't know because, because they're a difficult team to play against. Yeah, there's a lot of familiar names there. Etienne Capu and uh, Los Celso's there. Coquelin midfield. Danny Parejo as well. Lots of t- uh, names. Uh, Raul Albiol. Lots of people, uh, names that people will be familiar with, uh, even if they're not following Spanish league football. So it is going to be interesting. I hope people do understand that it's, it's, it's going to be a very, very significant challenge and not one to be dismissed as, as Jan's highlighted there. I suppose we're at that stage of the show then, right at the end, where I get a, 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 an idea from you how you think both 
results will go or how both fixtures will go. We have Everton and then we have Villarreal in the first leg. Uh, the first leg being at home, I do believe. So how do you feel those two Anfield fixtures are going to go for us? No, I obviously think that the first goal against Everton will, will have a bearing how early we can get that first goal. But if you look back at the game, Goodison, prior to that game, we knew we were better than And I, that's exactly how the game played out. Uh, we wouldn't convince me. I think we'll do the same. I think we'll beat Everton 4-0. Uh, Villarreal, they'll obviously do everything they can to keep it alive for the, for the second leg. And as I said before, you know, come and, and do as much as they can. So I've got a feeling that we, 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 have, we might have to show a bit more patience uh, because we're simply not going to get the spaces to run into that we normally have. Uh, so I think that's going to be a, a tuna win against Villarreal. Absolutely love the sounds of those two results. I would take them in a shot and you're on quite a run, my friend. So let's hope that uh, that continues. Uh, Jan, as ever, thanks a million for this week. Well, it's kind of easy, Trevor, isn't it? You know what I mean? Because it's just, you know, the way things are going, isn't it? There's so many positive things to, to talk about. And as much as we talk about the same team and the same players all the time, there's always new stories, isn't it? Because one week he's the hero, then there's somebody else and then we see something else, isn't it? Somebody else steps up, isn't it? It's, it's just wonderful. It's a great time to be a Reds fan or to be watching matches as closely as Jan and I do. Hopefully you're getting some enjoyment from the chats that we're having. I know for a fact that you are from your comments, which we appreciate very much. So thank you for those. Uh, we will be back with you to talk about how we got on against Everton and Villarreal before we look forward to the next couple of matches. That'll probably be more likely, more than likely next Thursday if that suits Jan. Um, so again, two more games coming up, two more games to reflect on. Hopefully we'll be talking about two more wins. I've been Trev Denny. He's been Jan Mulby. This is Mulby on the spot. Guy Drinkle was producing and we'll speak to you next week. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.